This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined, as always, with Jim Sebastio. We're going to get started here in just a minute. But before we do that, you can go to practicalshepherding.com. You can access all of our resources that are there, books, articles, uh, Shepherd's House. You could come stay with us. We are taking requests and applications to come stay at the Shepherd's House, six-bedroom cabin. Jim on 180 acres, pretty amazing place. It's been full the last two years. We've been really thankful. And I'll go ahead and make an exciting announcement that we are expanding the Shepherd's House, which means there will be other Shepherd's House locations, Lord willing, starting in January. So look for that to come as well. We may be having a Shepherd's House location nearer to you than Kentucky, but we would love for you to come and stay at this particular property in Kentucky. Two days, two nights for free. Pastor, you can bring your wife. You can't bring your kids. That's on purpose. And uh, come and stay and get some rest and, and, and even help from us. So all kinds of ways that we can uh, that our ministry can serve you. So go to practicalshepherding.com and you can uh, go to the contact page. You can uh, let us know ways we can help you, uh, serve you in some way. Uh, podcast topics you want us to consider, you can also put in that contact page there. So whatever we can do to help you, please let us. We want to dive right in as we typically do. And we want to cover a topic that is certainly a weighty topic, but one that just seems to be getting a lot of press lately because it's happening a lot. And even Jim, you know, I, I put something on Twitter a few weeks ago around this and it re, and it, people seem to take a lot of interest in it. And that is this, this is also written in by someone asking us to cover this. So this is a pretty uh, well-known topic, a hot uh, conversation taking place now. And that is the unjustified termination of pastors. Mm. And this can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and we'll talk about that. But but ultimately, pastors are getting fired. Pastors are being forced to resign. And there's not a justified reason for it mm. other than there are certain leaders who seem to have the manipulating ability to make this happen and don't have the authority to do it. But still, and so what's one of the things we're going to flesh out? We want to give categories for guys. This is how it happens in churches, even though it's happening with people who don't have the power and authority to do it. And then the the church as a whole is left just kind of holding the bag, wondering what just mm. what just happened. And then the pattern happens again. So we want to be able to talk about this one for a couple of reasons. One, if you have been unjustly terminated from a church. We want to just have this conversation even for you to be able to hear you're not crazy with, with the experience you've had. That's what I hear from a lot of pastors who reach out to me after this has happened and try to make sense of it. But the other reason we want to have this conversation, Jim, before I turn it over to you, is we want to put categories out there. We want to put hypothetical circumstances. They're not hypothetical, actually, mm. but something you could face, depending on your church, depending on your polity structure, depending on your mm. denomination, right. in a sense... So you can look for it. So you're not caught off guard as a lot of these guys are and are forced to have to make some really hard decisions without any thought. So, But we'll get into that in a minute. Jim, just biblically set this up. How in the world do we think about a category of unjustified terminations of a pastor uh, in, you know, in the modern day? Where do we go in the New Testament to think about this? Well, I think, Brian, as you seem to indicate there, there's not any really explicit text on, on dealing right. with this. Right. You do have the reality that elders do sin uh, and that there is an appropriate time to uh, confront sin in the eldership. I think that we as elders are exhorted to watch over one another, not just watch over our own selves individually. 
but to watch over our, our eldership. I think that's part of what's being said in Acts chapter 20. Take heed to yourselves and to the flock uh, that we are to do that. Watch over each other. First um, Timothy chapter 5 deals with uh, receiving accusations against an elder. This seems to come from the flock, not from the fellow elders and uh, not from other church officers, but seemingly from the flock. And, and there appears to be in this when Paul says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from uh, two or three witnesses the, that some pastors are going to be the target of unjust accusations. Paul certainly was, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it is, where Paul can say, it's a small thing for me to be judged of you. Uh, obviously, they were judging him. They were judging an apostle, and, and, and Paul knew that. He knew that they were saying things about him. Uh, he had a good conscience uh, in that. He knew that he would stand the scrutiny uh, of the Lord. Uh, and so there is the reality, I think, that being in ministry is going to attract some degree of, uh, of opposition uh, outside the church, but also inside the church, and that for a variety of reasons, people uh, might accuse an elder. They, they, they may have been offended by something that was preached. It might have gotten too close to home. They didn't like the counsel. And rather than dealing with the counsel, you're just going to get shoot the messenger uh, kind of a thing. This is, of course, and we can get into this later, it's, it's, it's contrary to the general way in which the church ought to function as revealed in the scriptures where uh, the relationship between the pastor and the flock and the pastors and the deacons is, is one that's harmonious it's it's working together where there's mutual support uh, let them watch over you uh, without any grief for that would be unprofitable for you that's that's talking about that it's beneficial for you to have a good relationship with your pastors and the pastors to let them do their, their work. Uh, the whole purpose for which deacons are originally given in Acts chapter 6 is to be a help to the pastors of the church so the pastors can do the work that they're uh, meant to do. It's not meant to be a combative. It's not meant to be a competition. Uh, and yet, sadly, you know, we're having to deal with the here. Here we are 2,000 years later. And some of these things are, are before us and men are having to, to deal with issues that are not, in this sense, directly addressed uh, in the scriptures. But I think that you, you do see some of the foundation set for leadership struggles. Yeah, that's good. And, and I want to, I think the first place to go with this is if we're talking about unjustified termination of pastors, we have to start by acknowledging there are justified terminations yes. of pastors. So for the record, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, if, right. And if, the, yeah, just say that, right. So just to say, yes, we do believe that. That's not what we're talking about today. Yeah, and, and but, but I do want to give the category that yes. if you're a pastor and and you have an you have an extramarital affair with a woman in your church, you deserve to be fired. You should be fired. You have disqualified yourself. Right. Or, so or you're not feeding the flock, and, and the, the and the general consensus is. People aren't being fed by your ministry. You're yeah. there to feed them. You, you may not. You may not. This may not be what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I, I served with a pastor who, um, after I left the church, he got exposed to losing a quarter of a million dollars of the church's money in the stock market. Yeah, he was fired. Deserved to be fired right. for that. So there, there are certainly justified right. terminations. We want to be able to acknowledge that. That's not what we're talking about today. Right. What we are talking about. Our pastors who are terminated are forced to resign right. 
uh, without good cause, and there and it's usually done in a very secretive, manipulative right. way. So the the tweet I had put up a few weeks ago that that uh, a lot of people responded to is around this the statement I made about an NDA with a non disclosure agreement. And what happens is, and there's been a lot of press around this. That's why I brought it up, and that's why we want to talk about it here. What ends up happening is a, and for just want us for those who don't know, a non-disclosure agreement is a is a, an agreement you sign basically to get a severance of some kind. Right. So a church will, in a sense, give you a three months or six months severance if you agree to sign and not talk at all publicly to anyone right. about why you were fired, and. This is obviously a common business practice and those yeah. kind of, and and there's a I think there's a place for it in the in the business world and all those kind of things. I think the where the conversations are coming is is there a place for it in the church? And I would generally argue that that there's there's not a place for NDAs in in churches and ministries mm. because it's usually a sign of hiding something, keeping someone from sharing something they know that you don't want other people to know about and. I just think there's there's challenges with integrity and ethics around a lot of that in a general sense. Do you think, Brian, uh, and first of all, I need to challenge you on something. Cause okay. Just for, for somebody that's listening and is of a peculiar perfectionist bent, you posted on X. Oh, you yes. You didn't tweet on Twitter. See, I'm old school. When, th- when names change, <laughs> I, I, I typically don't. Right. You know. So I'm the old guy, but I thought I'd bring that out. So yeah. some, somebody's corrected yeah, me. Yeah, thank no, you for no, that. Jim, you're posting on X. So, thank you for that. Which I don't do anymore. But uh, but um, I th- one thing that, that did hit me, because I, I wonder for some, and, and to try to be fair uh, to a church or to church leadership that is terminating a man and saying, we don't want you to talk about it. Is the reality that today, if you have one story, they have a story. Yeah. And yeah. you could get on Facebook and you could expose that church to the world of saying, there's 15 things they did about me or against me, or you can get on post on X or do a TikTok dance video talking about it or rap about it. But you, could, I have seen some pastors vent everything openly online and i just sometimes think is that real i understand that may be therapeutic i understand you may you feel justified in doing that i would not encourage a man to do that but i'm wondering i'm just if if we were to say why would a church say i think we're going to focus on negative reasons if there's anything would you ever see a positive reason of saying look understand this is controversial we don't want to air all of this before the world. Yep. Let's agree not to talk about. I, I don't know. Is there ever a justified way to deal with that? I know it's all messy. I definitely think there would be exceptions to the rule, Jim. So, I mean, I, I'm certainly not going to make a right. blanket statement. So that I think there are exceptions to the rule. But as a general sense, the way I'm seeing NDAs, at least in my experiences with mm. what we're doing, right. the pastors I'm hearing from. And let's go ahead and get into it because here's kind of some common scenarios that are right. happening out there. I want to paint the picture for those who've experienced it and for those who haven't. Right. We'll look for it. Pastor's been there 18, 24 months, three years, whatever it is. He knows there's some tensions. He knows there's some struggles. Uh, uh, he knows there's some maybe leaders who are not pleased with him. Might be some elders, might be some deacons, you know, whatever the structure is. He walks into a meeting uh, for, he walks into an elders meeting, he walks into a deacons meeting or whatever on a Sunday night after church, mm-hmm. which is their typical monthly meeting, whatever it is. Okay. 
And he walks in with an agenda expecting to talk about these things just to continue moving forward. And he is completely blindsided by one or two of those leaders who kind of have a stranglehold on the whole group Mm. who have convinced them that you're not the right guy and they have been conspiring for weeks, if not months, to you know, remember, I'm the guy that that survived three firing attempts. Right. So I mean, it, this this happens, and they go in and they basically threaten him and say, "You, um, we don't believe you're the guy. Uh, we uh, we think that you need to leave." And here is a written offer on the table, and they literally slide it over to them and say, yeah. "We will pay you six months severance or three months severance, whatever." If you sign that, and it's basically a non-disclosure agreement, and you have 24 hours to make the decision. And if you don't sign that, we're going to try to fire you anyways, and you won't get any severance. Right. And I, and usually a pastor, and this happened a few times in the last few months. Right. A pastor will call me during that 24-hour period because <laughs> he's trying to figure out what to do. And here's what I hear from them. Like, Brian, I haven't been here long enough. To feel like I can take, I mean, two years isn't enough time to be able to take on the long term, you know, three families that ran, it was run this church for 30 years. You don't have the clout, you don't have the trust of the congregation yet, mm-hmm. even though they're stuck in this cycle too. And so he has, uh, he doesn't have the ability to fight without half the church leaving and splitting the church. Um, and he also is broke. <laughs> so he doesn't have six months of savings. Uh, and if you're a pastor and have six month savings, I would love to know that there's somebody actually exists like that. And mm. I just, this is not what pastors typically are dealing with. Is so, it Dave Ramsey's son of, I'm not sure. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, I don't know. But I don't know many. Past, so this pastor's broke. He's like, I, I mean, I don't know where my paycheck's coming next month or where how we're going to eat. And we live in the parsonage. Right. So that has happened on I've heard from several pastors the last few months in that same exact right. scenario right so uh, that's the scenario we can talk about how to deal with that but I just want people like this is really right. this, this is what's happening and yeah, right. when we say unjust termination uh, what regardless of what the reasons are I don't like you uh, your personality is more annoying than I thought it was going to be and I don't want you to be my pastor anymore right you know but they're not justified they're not disqualifying right uh, offenses that have taken right. place so that's kind of the the picture. You want to add anything to that scenario? No, I. Well, you've experienced it probably. Obviously, Brian. I mean, you you had the attacks against yourself, and I do think there are certain ecclesiastical structures that in which this is going to be far more common than in others, and you know, and certain other structures, you know, the issue may may be far more that it's it's abuse of leadership or an elder hanging on to power. Uh, and then in other situations where there's a, a congregationalism run amok or where the uh, pastor-deacon distinctions are such that the deacons uh, view it as kind of a power play. Yeah. Uh, and so I think bad ecclesiology and all of those things, there's bad ecclesiology. But I think where you do have the unjust termination, you very often are dealing with a, a more fundamentally fractured system yeah. uh, that you you become the the victim of, but but that you maybe could have should have seen that it was at least a possibility uh, that that structure could be abused in that way. Yeah, and let me add something to what you said because I don't want to be charitable around. I mean, you're you're an elder ruled like Baptist. I'm a Convictionally, I'm an elder-led congregational Baptist. So, but I want to be charitable towards just other. Poly- so, you said a bad ecclesiology. I, I, I would even want to say 
a lot of times this stuff happens in an unhealthy dysfunctional ecclesiology. Right. So if you're if you're a Baptist or you're a Presbyterian, there's going to be different versions of this. But I would say I would affirm something you said that the it's the unhealthy aspect of that ecclesiology. Right. That oftentimes causes so the scenario that that I've recently was involved with is you know in in a in a Baptist church that's congregational like a Southern Baptist church that's congregational usually a solo pastor and they have deacons and the deacons are pseudo elders but they don't qualify but they have the authority right. of elders and so the, a lot of times the deacons are the ones that uh, or it might be a, a committee it might be a trustees or whatever but right. it's somebody who does not have the authority to fire the pastor but they are but they are because of their leader in the church they manipulate the polity that exists to be able to um to be able to fire the pastor and i think in an elder ruled context like you or in a presbyterian context where there's actually a presbytery that exists beyond that local right. church that has authority right this is still breeding ground the unhealthy aspect of that particular ecclesiology is what sets the table for a lot of this stuff to happen. So let's go to, okay, that we kind of talked about that's how this happens. Right. Let's talk about why it happens. Uh, yeah. uh, and let's think about why is it that, that pastors are unjustifiably terminated. In other words, there's not a clear, sinful, biblical reason right. that this pastor is disqualified and should not be your pastor anymore. Um, let, let me go to you first, Jimmy. So what's, what do you think the why is? What do you think one reason is? That pastors are unjustifiably terminated, you know, two years, three years into their ministry. Well, it can be any number of reasons, Brian. I, I think certainly one of the one of the causes is that there's not clear teaching on the part of the of the leadership about what the qualifications are and what disqualifications are, so that there's not a biblical expectation. And so what you might have is a worldly expectation or a spiritualized worldly expectation. Our budget hasn't grown. Uh, not, not enough people mm-hmm. have come. There's, yeah. we, we wanted 10 baptisms, then we only, we only had four, we only had two. Uh, there weren't enough decisions. Uh, there, there, there weren't enough, they, the uh, Sunday school classes aren't being run well or, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be. And, and you're the fall guy uh, for all of that. That's obviously your fault. If there's uh, if things aren't the budget's not doing what it should do, the church isn't growing like we anticipated. You've been here two years, the church hasn't grown. You've been here two years, we haven't seen conversions or we haven't seen well, particularly baptisms. You know, whatever the case might be, I think those are probably some reasons why that's the case. That's an excellent point, actually, and I think that's a really, really good reason to to acknowledge because the the pastor feels these expect they're almost unbiblical expectations right. the church puts on them so and one of the reasons they're unbiblical is because one it's not it's not a sign to evaluate spiritual fruit but a lot of those things are out of the, the control of the pastor on top of that so yeah. you also what you also shared was really good because it it points to why pastors feel the pressure to produce numbers right to produce more money to produce more baptisms whatever the expectation right. is in this kind of superficial numbers game, right. pastors realize, okay, my job may be on the line mm-hmm. if I don't produce this. So I've watched a lot of good, faithful men who want to just preach and love people. And they feel this pressure and tension to have to try to accommodate and make people happy for the sake of them keeping their job. Mm. So that that's a really good one. I'll add another one that I think is, is why this happens. I think the system, the, the way churches hire pastors is broken from the beginning. Right. So I have commonly said that uh, 
the pastoral search team that's hot, that the church that is formed in a church to hire their next pastor. Um, you know, there's no elders, there's no leaders. It's just kind of pull the leaders together yeah. as a committee and this call it pastoral search team. Uh, most pastoral search teams are a bunch of wounded sheep looking for their next shepherd. And because of that, that from the beginning creates a, a broken system, which causes that group of people who are doing the best they can, by the way. Um, but that's just not who's supposed to be typically doing this. That's just who does it. They, because they've been wounded by the previous guy or didn't like the things about this guy, they, they hire somebody who's the complete opposite of him the next time. And then they go through that guy. And then they try to figure out, okay, where's the, where's the balance in all this? And it's just this ebb and flow of if you study the history of certain churches and the kinds of pastors they had. I'm fascinated when I hear the stories. I mean, I'll ask these questions when I'm working with churches because it tells me a lot about how much did they overreact. You know, they had this, they had this really loving shepherd who couldn't preach well the first time. And then all of a sudden they get this dynamic preacher who's a terrible shepherd the next time. And you just see this ebb and flow of, of reactionary decisions being made about the pastor. So I think one of the reasons pastors uh, are, are unjustifiably terminated is that the system on how pastors are hired, just, just broken from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, as somebody who, you know, I mean, I had the pastoral search team that hired me. This is how I learned it. Like this, right. many of them had no business being on that, that church team, church team. But in the sovereign providence of God, he got me where I'm supposed to be through them in that process. So I want to acknowledge, I think this is why two years in, three years in, churches are like, what? who did we hire? Uh, is part of that broken system. At the same time, I believe God's sovereignty and will for our lives rules out in that day. Mm. But I do want to acknowledge, I think this is part of the problem. So then uh, whatever that group of leaders thought they were hiring two years in all of a sudden that's not what we want Mm. the problem is when they realize that they don't sink their heels in and try to figure out how to love and support their pastor they hired as they've gotten to know him better and realize Mm. he's a sinner he's not a perfect man he's not you know maybe what we thought but this is where we are and we need to try to make this work in the same way that pastor needs to do the same thing two years in going what a what a broken messed up flock i just you know Mm. i inherited same the props of where this kind of gets circumvented is when either the pastor bails in two years, mm. which happens all the time, right? Or that group of leaders manipulates the system and wants him out, and they and they get him out in some way through this manipulative process. So, okay, so let me let me turn let me go back. Any other why thing you would want? Yeah, to I, I think you know things. There can be issues like fear of change. Uh, this guy seems to be a little bit different. His theology maybe is a little bit different. You're afraid of where he's leading the church. Uh, that's one. I think you have uh, power dynamics that might be where uh, a pastor maybe is preaching with a greater degree of authority and desires to move the church in a direction, and the deacons are fearful that they're no longer being look, looked at uh, as the leaders. I think you have the subjective elements of evaluation of, I mean, who gets to determine what a good sermon is and what a, you know, is this person apt to teach? There is a degree of subjectivity to that in the evaluation. Certainly. Two yeah. people, three people, five people can hear the same sermon from the same man and each evaluate it differently. Yeah. So I think those are some other reasons. I'm sure we could come up with more. That's but really I good. I just throw those out. Yeah, I got one more that, that is, I think, a really obvious one needs to be mentioned. Uh, you upset the wrong person. 
Yeah, you stepped on a toe. So right. You stepped on the wrong toe. Uh, so in other words, you can step on toes. You can upset people as a pastor. But you upset the person that has the most influence. Right. You upset the person that gives the most money in the church. You you upset, I mean, you upset right. the wrong person. Yep. Uh, a lot of times this, they, they put, they are either the ones to try to get you out. Yes. Or they, and I've, I've seen this happen, like that they'll offer this crazy severance to a pastor because you have some wealthy people in the church who want the pastor out. Right. They'll offer some crazy amount of severance <laughs> just to get the guy out. Yeah. And now, if you're, we see a big sports fan. So, when you when you see these enormous contracts being bought out because they want to, they get rid of the football coach right. to hire the next guy. And as long as you got alumni, will give a hundred million dollars to hire you know for all this. That's great. But it's interesting to watch a similar approach in the church. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah, just get rid of him. Ask, offering whatever he wants, so yeah. we can get rid of him and go to the next oh. guy. All right. So let's. So what's what's a pastor to do? I mean, let's do go two places. Last two places we'll go. What's a pastor to do if he finds himself in this spot? And what's a congregation to do if they see that this is a pattern that's happening in their mm. church? So let's go to both those places. First, let's go to the pastor. Wow. Okay. All right. So yep. because this because I'm dealing with both of these kind of okay. things. First, the pastor. A pastor calls me Sunday night after he leaves that meeting. He's been given 24 hours to sign that NDA to get six months severance. Or if he doesn't sign it, he gets nothing. Jim, what's your advice to him? I guess the the my my advice should be predicated upon the question: Is this thing final? That is, are they really going to fire him, or is this something that he can take to the congregation? Right, call their bluff. Right, can yeah. he call their bluff? Yep. Call a congregational meeting. You know, call the the pastoral search committee and say, "Listen, uh, they want to get rid of me. Um, these are the, these are the charges." I do not believe in good conscience that these are are justified. I have a I have a, a strong suspicion that the Lord has created a bond between us, and yep, I would right. like to see that. I would I want to continue to be your pastor. Is that what you want? Or also, you say that's what I want. I also don't want to you know make this a matter of a church split, but. I want to. I think that uh, honesty is needed with this. That, mm-hmm. that, that's one. Yeah. So good. that's the one. Yeah, so I'll start there with that. So yep. Ping it over to you. That's good. Um, so the other thing I would add is, and this is one of the things I said because every situation is different, but I think that's a really good one um, because one of the options is to call their bluff if they're threatening. You know, a lot of times pastors will just do whatever they ask, call it a day, move on to the next place, right. get the severance. Um, but then the congregation's left holding the bag, and he's not able to talk about what right. or, or, uh, what uh, uh, what would the the reasons were. So what I have shared with a pastor, and this is common, like he's eighteen months in. One guy I talked, to, he was twelve months in. He just he just didn't have the credibility to be able to um, to be able to fight it and probably win with the congregation, even though you would think they'd want to fight against the pattern. So. As I talked to this guy, he he couldn't even if he called their bluff. He probably split the church, wouldn't win. Yeah. And what's he left with at that point? Right. Uh, he's broke, so he can't afford to fight this. Right. In so many ways. Now, somebody, some people are going to listen to this and kind of be black and white on this issue and go, oh, "Would you, know, you just trust the Lord? He'll provide for you. Go right. fight." It's like, okay, he would. Okay, I, I get that, but it still doesn't tell you that's the right thing to right. do. So what I what how I have advised got pastors in this position is. Um, if you feel like you have to sign the NDA because you really have no choice, then put a clause in the NDA that you make a public announcement to the church that you asked me to resign. I did not choose to resign. 
but you asked me to. And, um, and what that does is that allows the pastor. So what happens in these moments, if you don't get that covered, right? that you sign the NDA, you are silenced by that. And then the, then the church is told nothing. That, like the, then, the, then the leaders, that's why it's so cowardly, I think, right. for church leaders to ask a pastor to sign an NDA because you're buying their silence because you're you're manipulating to get rid of it. Right. That's yeah, what I, I think. think that, uh, that's I, what I think. I agree. Is, I think that happens. Yeah. Incredibly fully, cowardly. Yeah. That's what I called coward. I've called cowardly. I still think. I that. agree. So. 100%. So I think you have to. Um, so if you sign the NDA, I think you go back and go. I'll sign this, but I want it in written form that is presented to the church and it is announced mm. that I did not resign. But I did not willingly resign. You have forced me to resign. This is not my choice, but I agreed to it based on uh, you coming to me and pushing me in this way. Mm. And so what that does is that allows him to be able to talk to church members about, uh, you know, that he was being forced out. In other mm. words, that's what usually is being hidden under right. the under everything. And then what I watched that happen through this, church members are able to confront the leaders who have been manipulating doing mm. this. So, because I, we can go to the congregation in a minute, but this is, that's, that's how I would advise a pastor. And so if, you, that's if, good. if you're listening to this, you know, and you feel like you have to sign the NDA for the sake of financial, for the sake of you're in the parsonage, you have nowhere to go. Like this, right. that's the situation uh, that many guys are in. Uh, make, do not, I would not agree to an NDA unless they're willing to acknowledge they're the ones forcing you out. Let's turn to the congregation though, Jim, because here's what I see then congregations will face, I mean, I mean, talk. I mean, talk to all kinds of people who experience this. They watch pastors come and go and come and go. And if you dig, right. if you dig down into it, they'll tell you the last four pastors resigned and left, and we, no, we didn't get any kind of reason. Right. And they're just kind of left going. And the pastor won't tell them. The deacons, the elders won't tell them. Right. So the these I've I've worked with congregations who've spent over a decade watching pastors come and go, and they were never they're never given reasons. And what ended up being exposed is that those those leaders were firing the pastor every two to three years and the mm. congregation didn't know it. Mm. So I'm saying this because this can't happen. My question to you is, if you, how would you advise a church member, Jim? And I know we're talking in unhealthy contexts and things. But yeah, if right. a church member comes to you and says, Jim, I, I'm watch, I've watched my, pastor, my third pastor in the last five years leave, right. resign without any warning or reason and he left and vanished and and the only reason given is he didn't want to be the pastor anymore and he left. Mm. And they're just smelling something that's fishy. Right. What's your advice? What's one thing you would advise them to do? I am very loath to, you know, give exhortations or encouragements to any sheep to ever leave their flock. This could be a justifiable yeah. reason sure. where where you you it is again so unhealthy for you. And so unhealthy for your family to continue to be put into a situation. There, there's a reason why churches have pastors. There's a reason why churches hire pastors. And it's for the good and strengthening of the flock. Uh, that's the whole reason for it. Right. And if that's constantly undermined to the detriment of your health and to your stability, your ability to be fed, your ability to trust, your ability to be vulnerable uh, to any leadership because you think, well, they can always be. Yes, I realize in even the best of situations, they can always be gone the next week for any variety. They, they could die. They could have a health crisis or some other thing that's going to mean that they're going to be gone. But 
the the relationship between the 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 shepherd and the sheep is meant to be one of 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 trust and mutual love and where you you have a certain righteous expectation that this person is going to be there for you and when that's constantly undermined due to uh, a very unhealthy and and potentially unbiblical and and even potentially extremely sinful leadership structure that constantly uh, is abusing the, the the sheep you you may have that recourse so yeah. that's one but i would say on top of that brian i do think there comes a time for the people to say to their leadership enough um this is happening we see it we see it we're not just going to be silently complicit yeah we see very unhealthy things and and, and that may make you make you want to deal with us but for our sake, sake of our children, the sake of others, something needs to be said. Yeah, that's good. I'll, I'll kind of say something similar, I think, in the way I would respond to a congregational member. Um, and that's challenge it if you see it. Go to, your, go to your leaders, whoever's you know making these decisions or the ones bringing the announcement and the ones that seem to be leading all this, this process. Uh, you know, push back, be respectful, but... Um, or I think it, I think you're right. I think especially this exposes a toxic leadership that exists in a church, and you're a congregational member, especially even even in a congregational church where you have a, some authority. But in a, like an elder rule church, you have no authority. No, in that, no, in, in I, that I don't. I don't. I, I don't agree with that assessment of 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 of, of uh, elder led. Uh, I would call it elder led congregationalism. Okay, that the congregation certainly does have recourse in these things. They can bring accusations against their leadership. Well, that's their, yeah. a good point. I'm thanks for the clarification. Yeah. I'm talking about just the um, their the in a congregational setting where there's official authority within the congregation. Yeah. But the in a in an elder ruled or even in a, like a Presbyterian context where there's a presbytery that gets yeah. involved with this stuff, you know, you may feel the limitations of just just being a church member to do yeah. anything about you it. Might, yeah. If but I would say do something about it. Speak up. You know, challenge. I mean, be respectful, but challenge if you feel like right. something is fishy, and let them prove to you. I mean, th- that they're being. I mean, it's called an elder. Pastors be above reproach, and right. so do that. Or I think I agree with you. I think it is grounds to see. This is this is really unhealthy. This is unbiblical, and and just leave and go. I have to leave and go. I think right. it is a justified reason. Yeah. What not to do is sit and remain silent, thinking it's going to work itself out. I think that's the thing that I watch a lot of churches do, and it's it's kind of the it's puzzling to me in a way, and in, in another way, we stick with what's familiar. You know, I, these right. churches that I've watched this happen to, they're upset about it. But they don't do anything about it. Well, some don't know that there's anything any different anywhere else because it may be every church in the area is oh, all that's, runs that's all true. run exactly the this same way. Life. It's like, well, it's still got to be part of a church, and so you just take it. They're all like this, yeah, right. Well, so I want you to hear that if that's a question in your mind, they're all not like that, right? And and I think that you have to think about, um, yeah, because if, if one of the signs to look for as a congregational member, as a member of the church, is any kind of pattern where uh, the pastor leaves suddenly, and the leaders who are leading th- that announcement and the the transition and all those kind of things, if they continually not give you a reason at all. Now, that's why I say for a pastor, if you're going to sign an NDA, get those leaders to agree. They have to publicly announce that you were forced to do this. And because that puts it on the responsibility on them. What's cowardly is doing this and and not owning that this is you're the one running him out. At least own that as a leader in right. front of your church if that's what you're doing. But the 
the guys that do this and try to not take responsibility and do it in secret and that's that's evil it's cowardly and a lot of pastors yeah. lives are being up, turned upside down and congregations by the way are being really harmed because there's a few leaders that are doing this in the church so uh, we'll wrap this though Jim there's a lot more we could say on this but uh, any kind of final word either to pastors or to maybe a church congregation or a member that feels like maybe their church is living in this pattern uh, yeah so quick Quick few things. So if, if you're part of the leadership that has constantly terminated people, you really need to evaluate your heart, your life. I think you also, if, if you have good grounds to terminate somebody, have the courage to say it to the congregation. And you don't want to ruin a guy's reputation necessarily. But you can, you can tell the congregation, oh, we confronted them, we believe that it is in the best interest of the church to move on for, to another leadership because we believe he's not qualified in this way or that way. We weren't able to come and see these things but, eye to eye. Be honest. But be Just honest, be honest. Yeah. right, for crying out loud. Be honest. A disagreement does not equal disunity. Right. Uh, bring things to the light. Let them be open. Let them be talked about. Allow the congregation, particularly if you're a congregational church in this sense, then let the congregation hear and know and, and maybe even have some part in this. You may even have to say as leaders, look, we, this is where we are. It may be you think we're unqualified and that he should be, you know, whatever the case might be. I think you ought to, you ought to be able to have the honesty and integrity uh, to do that, if it's if you're the one being in in everything at the end of the day before God, you believe it was an unjust termination, and even those who terminated you would grudgingly ag- agree. You need to find some time to to heal with that, and be and you, the temptation because of the financial pressure to quickly find another church where you just somehow magically think it's going to be different. If, right. if, if there is not a purposeful structural difference, you know, and, and, and interview that church, interview the people in the church and find out, have there been five or six guys in front of me that have also been run out so that you're not just on a perpetual treadmill of every two years uh, so that you know you're so burned out on ministry, and then eventually even burn out and lose any hope of the church, yeah. and, or you and your family does. They don't want anything to do with the church anymore. So I think you need to be able as best you can to do your due diligence and find out what the leadership structure is. I'd say that initially even to a guy before you even enter in. Yeah. Uh, try to look out, get the kind of counsel from somebody like Brian, uh, who is able to say, look, these are some of the questions you need to ask yourself. It seems like a really good situation. But ask, you know, have you ever had an NDA? Um, have you gotten rid of former pastors? And if so, what was, you know, how was that done? That's an excellent question, actually. Yeah. So I, I think those are some things you can okay. do to help prevent it uh, on either as you're going into a situation or if you've been fired and are going to go back into a church situation. Yeah, that's really good. I would just I'd piggyback on and kind of affirm some of you already said, and that's, uh, you know, if if you've been unjustly terminated, uh, just remember the Lord knows, and the Lord is your yep. refuge and your defender. Uh, I believe that God does not waste one ministry scar. Yeah, you will grow in wisdom. You will you will serve Him better as you deal with this loss and the grief around it and the pain around it, uh, and for whatever your next ministry post is. So you you getting unjustly terminated is not the end of of your ministry. Right. And so I, but having said that, uh, I want to also affirm something you said, you know, get the care you need. Then you go into the greatest church ever next 
does not heal the wounds of what you right, just experienced. Exactly. Get some counseling. Get some help. Probably need a short break from ministry, even if right. possible, before you do that. So, uh, I think the holding those two tensions, those true, those tensions in in both hands, is important to 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 remember. So, um, one more thing, Brian, yeah, if I good. may. Yep. Uh, Peter's reference to Jesus that you know when abused, he he was silent. Like the lamb before its shears was silent, so he opened not his mouth, and he he entrusted his soul to a faithful God. Mm-hmm. And you may be in a situation where, like the you know, well, the Savior very purposefully did not open his mouth, fulfilling ancient prophecy. But there's a time when we have to walk in the way of the Lamb and to be and to be silent in the midst of people who are going to misinterpret, misconstrue what's going on and say things about you and, 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 and your reputation. And they may run it through the mud and you're not able to say anything and trust yourself to a faithful God who sees you and who knows you. Yeah. That's what you, that's what needs to be done. So will you take a minute and pray yeah. that way for these guys? Yeah. Father in heaven, we recognize that there will be some who hear this podcast with, with pain and with perhaps even tears and, and regret Living God, we pray you'd come near to those of your servants who have been dealt with in this way. Uh, Let them know that they're not alone, that you are with them and for them. Father, we pray for these churches that have been affected, that you would bring healing and repentance where need be. Lord, aid them to uh, walk forward in the light uh, and not to be in darkness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.